Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the Warning Track Power podcast, where your baseball guys, Jake and Chris, offer their insights about all things MLB. And we are in the thick of the postseason, Chris, and uh, two uh, very exciting LCS series happening right now. We are in the middle of game three of the ALCS uh, as we record this, and we'll be providing updates uh, throughout the episode but uh, last time we talked, it was uh, toward the end of the division series, uh, four different division series, and um, we are uh, we're down to our our final four. So, Chris, let's just jump right into it. And uh, first of all, uh, how are you? And what what have you been uh, watching over these last uh, seven days? Yeah, it's been a fun last week. Uh, it was thrown into even more sort of uh, intrigue in the last few days by uh, something that a team out of the playoffs, the Cardinals, decided to randomly do. But we'll discuss that a little later on when we get to our news. That was certainly one of the big shockers that, of the last week that happened outside of what's happening in the playoffs themselves on the field. Sure. Um, you know, it is interesting. Like you said, the last time we talked, the division series were near their conclusion, but none of them I don't think had wrapped up just mm -hmm. yet. Um, and now we're at a point as of the time that we're recording where the defending AL champion has been eliminated and the defending NL champion is down two games to nothing Yeah, in the NLCS. The defending World Series champion is down two games to nothing in the NLCS. So yeah. in some ways, you know, after the division series, it was kind of looking at these teams going, going like, okay. And there wasn't like an underdog. There was no Oakland yeah. A's making a run. It was kind of like, okay, these are the, these are the teams. And we're finding a way to make it a little interesting here. Yeah. It's going to be different teams. I mean, you know, a different AL champion, we're going to have, uh, you know, potentially a real upset brewing in the national league. So uh, a lot to discuss here. Absolutely. And we'll just get right to it. And we'll start off with the, the, uh, the moment of silence for uh, my Chicago white Sox. Um, yes. Powerheads. Thank you. It was uh, a, a, uh, Game four beat down. We recorded uh, when game four was supposed to happen uh, last Monday night or uh, Monday afternoon. It was supposed to be and uh, it ended up getting rained out and only delayed uh, the inevitable, it seemed like. And uh, the Astros ended up winning that game uh, by a final score of, I think it was nine to one. Ten, ten to one. Ten yeah. to one. Well, OK, well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm Let's, piling on making it worse. Either yeah. way, it was not good. Yeah. Ten to one. Yeah, it was very uh, ugly in all respects um, in all aspects. Uh, the White Sox actually got their run first uh, off of Gavin Sheets home run out to center field. Um, but that was all they would get. They were once again shut down by Lance McCullers, um, who, if it wasn't for his uh, forearm discomfort, probably would have gone into the seventh inning of that game. Um, but uh, it was a combination of Astros relievers, supposedly their weak point that ended up shutting the White Sox down the rest of that rest of the way in game four of that series. And the White Sox ended up losing three games to one. So they are out of the playoffs in the first round for the second straight year. Um, and it's just a matter of uh, retooling and, and getting back to that spot for next year. And I'm sure we'll talk plenty about that in the off season. Um, so I won't uh, go into too much detail about uh, improvements I think they should make, 
But uh, yeah, three to one in that series. The other AL series actually was uh, three to one as well. And it went the way of the Boston Red Sox. Um, and it was just, it was an offensive display, uh, a very impressive offensive display, uh, especially in game two, which we talked about a 14 to six victory. Uh, and then they just, they did enough to get, uh, get past the Rays. You know, they, their pitching was solid enough and their offense, their lineup just gave them uh, enough, enough runs and enough production to get them past uh, the defending AL champions, like you said, Chris, and, uh, and they're on to the American League Championship Series. So what did you see in that series uh, in those last couple of games that we hadn't talked about last week? And, uh, and uh, yeah, just what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, so, I mean, with, you know, I, I try not to, you know, I always try to catch myself from trying to make any, draw too huge, too big of a conclusion from just a couple of games and mm-hmm. one playoff series, trying to draw conclusions where there aren't any. But I can't help but notice these two ALDS series. In both situations, it was the high-powered offense overcoming the very good pitching staffs. Yeah. Now, obviously, the White Sox and the Rays are not just good pitching staffs, right? That's yeah. like what the Brewers were. The Brewers were the great pitching staff that couldn't hit. The White Sox and the Rays, in different ways, are very respectable offensive clubs. Mm-hmm. But when you look at what happened there, it was the Astros scoring... 31 runs in right. four games against a White Sox team that, you know, obviously, you know, we don't have to get to every single pitcher who struggled, but like yeah. the names that were there, I mean, they had the pieces. I mean, you know, Lance Lynn and, and, you know, Rodon and you had Giolito. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what you do to fix. I mean, <laughs> you can always get better p- at pitching, but that right. that's obviously uh, unfortunate, it, it was the, the Astros lineup overpowering mm-hmm. it. And then yeah. the same th- situation happened with the Boston Red Sox, who've gotten some great starting pitching from Nathan Nivaldi. But right. <laughs> other than that, it's not necessarily their pitching that's powering them to this victory. It's them scoring, uh, let's see, 26 runs in the final three games of the series against the Rays. Yeah. Uh, lost, dropped the first game and then sc- scored 26 runs. Um I mean, it's that high-powered offense coming through. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how much to, what that means. I'm not going to come out here and proclaim like, oh, okay, well, pitching, forget pitching, go right. all in on offense. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that's the takeaway, but yeah. it, it is interesting. Uh, I think it's clear that the Red Sox, we have not been giving enough credit, and we'll talk more yeah. about them, I guess, in the context of the ALCS here momentarily. We, we just mm-hmm. haven't been their team that we're just not expected to be this good and they're legit. Right. I yeah. it's, it's, they're not as complete. They see, I see flaws, but I also see some great strengths uh, on the other one, other side, you know, the white Sox, uh, it's obviously unfortunate. Uh, I feel your pain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, like you said, retool, you mentioned this, I think, I mean, look, this isn't a, this they weren't far off it looked like they were far off they were overmatched mm-hmm. like this wasn't a close series it, it was three games to one but it wasn't like oh you know they almost had them like it was they were just overmatched by an Astros team that was a bit better and right. they can get there it's not going to take 18 moves they don't have to go out and pay somebody 200 million dollars to get there yeah but it is going to require some some smart moves this offseason and I'm sure like you said we'll talk about it that uh, in the months ahead Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we'll jump into the, uh, the ALCS here. Um, between the Astros and the Red Sox, two very 
similar teams, just like you said, in the way that they won uh, their division series, um, just with, with solid pitching and great offense. And, uh, you know, for, for the Astros, that pitching is falling apart. So I mentioned, you know, Lance McCullers Jr., left his uh, game four start against the White Sox with uh, forearm discomfort in his pitching arm. And uh, he was, he is not on the Astros American League championship series roster um, as well as Luis Garcia. He left his, uh, his last start as well uh, in game two, I believe it was with an injury. Um, and he uh, he's going to stay on the roster, but he's got some uh, a knee issue uh, that he is dealing with knee soreness uh, that kicked that uh, let him leave the game uh, in game two. Uh, and they had to push uh, Jake Odorizzi into service in game two, which they didn't want to do because they were trying to save him for game four. And now they are kind of in a state of limbo with their pitching staff. Um, and the Red Sox have taken advantage. They hit, uh, they just exploded on offense in game two, hitting two grand slams in the first two innings, uh, which was a, a record that's never been done before in the postseason. Um, two grand slams in one game, let alone two grand slams in the first two innings. And then tonight they hit uh, a third grand slam for the series, which has never been done either. Three grand slams in one postseason series, courtesy of Kyle Schwarber tonight. Uh, that game is currently, is it still 6 nothing? It is still... Six nothing Boston in the bottom of the third inning. So, Chris, how do you see this playing out? Because I know how I feel, and I feel the Red Sox are just really hot at the right time, um, and they're getting contributions up and down the lineup. And it's uh, going to be really hard for the Astros, especially with their pitching staff the way it is right now, to overcome that. But what's your take? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I may live to regret this, but I really won't because of what I'm going to sort of the caveat I'm going to apply here, which is sure. I still believe the Astros are the better team. They're mm-hmm. the more complete team. If we were to just say, okay, we're starting over 162 games. I think the Astros would win more than the Red Sox. Yeah. But if you t- were telling me right now, you know, pick, pick a, make a prediction for this series. And of course it helps that the Red Sox are likely going to win, you know, have a two to one advantage here after yeah. Monday night. But even before this game, this Monday night game started, I would have gone with Boston for some of the reasons that you just outlined, mm-hmm. they seem to just be so hot at the right time. And the Astros pitching troubles that you mentioned, because yeah. I think the Astros, both of these lineups, as we mentioned, very high powered, incredibly dynamic, incredibly just deep. I mean, it's just incredible offenses. Yeah. So I think the bigger question is who's pitching breaks the most yeah. over the course of the next few games. And I had been a believer in the Astros depth of their pitching over the Red Sox, but the way it's trending Mm -hmm. um, with the injuries to McCullers, to, um, uh, to Luis Garcia, the fact that Zach Greinke, understandably, he's coming, closing in on 40 years old. He's just not a frontline starter at this point. Yeah. He's a respectable guy, respectable pitcher still. The yeah. guy you want around, but he's not making an impact this postseason. I don't think there's any reason to believe that's going to change. Right. So now all of a sudden you're looking at a team that I thought had good pitching depth or at least good enough, you know, yeah. solid options. And all of a sudden they don't have a game four starter. 
Yeah. Meanwhile, the Red Sox have got Evaldi on a roll. Chris Sale, even though he's not, you know, quite back to hundred percent. Right. Rodriguez pitching tonight. Pavetta, like all of a sudden they're the team that looks like they have more depth. And yeah. I actually have a uh, in grow increasing faith in some of the weapons like Garrett Whitlock that they have in the back end of the Red Sox bullpen. Mm-hmm. So I think momentum and those factors that we've been talking about uh, definitely puts this in Boston's favor, which yeah. is a wild thing to think about. This is a team that had one of the worst records uh, in the American league last year. Yeah. I don't think it was like the worst, but they were a big disappointment mm-hmm. and, and we thought they'd be better. We knew they'd be better than that, right. but in a division that we, we were so excited about, Toronto and the Rays and of course the Rays backed it up and the Yankees and the fact that they were still able to win 92 games and despite all the adversity and issues that they had with COVID with injuries uh, just really impressive and it looks like uh, I, I certainly be picking them to go to the World Series right now yeah I'm I completely agree I want to give a shout out I mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier but uh, Kike Hernandez man oh yeah <laughs> he's oh, been man. absolutely on fire um, batting 500, he's 17 for 34 this postseason in eight games. Um, and, uh, he's got five home runs to just four strikeouts, uh, four doubles and nine RBIs. Uh, so dude is just, I mean, the, the baseball must look, must look like a beach ball to him right now, but, uh, yeah, he's been one of the driving forces of that team, uh, all postseason so far. Um, you look at Rafael Devers, he's also been huge for them. And like you mentioned, the pitching staff has been able to, you know, kind of get them through and, uh, they, you know, they don't have to go out there and throw complete game shutouts or anything. If the off, if the Red Sox offense is going to, you know, hit a grand slam a game, um, you know, for the rest of the postseason, which I know that they, they won't, but, uh, uh, anything is possible at this point. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm riding the Red Sox bandwagon um, right now because they're, they're hot at the right time. And that's, that's uh, a huge factor in the postseason. It absolutely, absolutely is. I mean, this is Kike Hernandez in particular. I mean, this is, a, this was an underrated player mm-hmm. um, going back to his time with the Dodgers, but what he's doing right now is, is sort of making a, <laughs> making a, a legend of himself, an October legend, just yeah. based on what he's doing. Um, it's the power, the defense, uh, you know, my reaction basically is what uh, they had. I don't know what this was game one. Mm-hmm. They were talking to Dusty Baker on the broadcast when Hernandez homered and it was just, a, <laughs> Oh Lord. You yeah. Know, like come came out of his mouth and it was like, yeah, same, same Dusty. Like that's, that's basically the reaction to Kike right now. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if the momentum stays on their side. I will say this though, just in case uh, this comes back to, you know, the Astros are a team that's capable. That offense is is capable of scoring so many runs in a short period Mm -hmm. that it's not over until it's over. You know, like it's, I'm very high, you know, we're both pretty optimistic on the Red Sox at this point, Yeah. but this is an Astros team that as we've seen in previous years and this year, you cannot count them out until they are out. So uh, just something to keep in mind. 100%. Hundred percent, and as you were uh, adding your last little bit there, Christian Arroyo just hit a missile of a home run into the Green Monster seats to make it nine nothing uh, in the third inning of uh, Game wow. Three. Um, they are the Astros are already 
into their bullpen. Yimmy Garcia is in the game. And uh, after they may not have any pitching left by the time we get to game four or five, it may not matter. They might uh, not have to anybody else to send out there. Yeah. So it's uh, another offensive explosion for, for Boston. And that's just what that uh, lineup is capable of. So I'm going to look and see here. Yeah. Jose Urquidy, just an inning and two thirds, uh, five hits, five earned runs, uh, two walks, one strikeout. And now Yemi Garcia has gone an inning, an innings worth of uh, outs and uh, given up that two run homer and a third run as well. Uh, it's not looking great for the Astros. Uh, they've allowed the, uh, the Red Sox to score 18 runs over their last, what, 12 innings of, uh, of baseball. It's uh, not a combination or uh, a, a recipe for success, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. Long way to go. Still, uh, Red Sox still will have to win two more games if they uh, the score holds uh, tonight. But uh, let's go over to the NL side now. Um, those two series, we'll start with the Braves and Brewers. The Braves defeated the Brewers 3-1, to one, and we talked about this uh, just as far as balance last week. Uh, and the Brewers and their lack of offense, they scored six runs over the four games of that series. Uh, and that included two shutouts in the middle two games, games two and three. Um, the, you can't win like that. You can't win with six runs over four games. Um, the Braves offense came through. Uh, they were able to take, uh, take that series and move on to the NLCS, a rematch of the uh, 2020 NLCS. Um, between the, the Braves and Dodgers. But uh, I know we talked a lot about it last week, uh, the series in particular, Chris, but do you have anything to add after watching uh, the last couple of games of Braves Brewers? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, nothing that's particularly new from some of the things we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. You know, the Brewers pitching alone just wasn't enough. The Braves pitching the, their top three of freed, um, Morton and Anderson really held up well. And that offense, uh, really those under the radar moves that, that their front office made at the deadline, Adam Duvall, I think he's, and I think it was another 40 Homer season. He's like a, one of the leaders in the NL and in RBI, if not the leader, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they went and got Eddie Rosario and Jorge Soler and they just, and, and they made the, the Richard Rodriguez, the Pirates closer. They just made a lot of like, they didn't make the big splashy moves, but they right. added reinforcements Then it's really helping them now. And, um, you know, now, well, I'll, I'll hold my thoughts because I don't want to get too far ahead of uh, the NLCS, but sure. I will say this though, on the <laughs> Brewers side, um, you know, we were talking about these high powered offenses in the AL being the ones that reached the ALCS. Right. Well, the worst offense clearly in the playoff field was the Milwaukee Brewers. And yeah. it, it turned out that that was a big factor. Uh, Christian Yelich, I mean, we're just getting further and further removed from him being a very good player, an impact yeah. player yeah. at all. Um, it, you know, it feels like a long time ago, it was 2019 that he would have won his second straight AL, uh, NL MVP, yeah. not for getting injured. He finished second in the, in the race that year. I mean, consecutive right. years with an OPS at or above a thousand. And then he's just a guy. Yeah. The last two years, he's, mm-hmm. he's literally just basically league average. That's what he mm-hmm. was a league average hitter, yeah. a 99 OPS plus mm-hmm. this year. And then in the postseason. You know, it was like, okay, you know, a little bit of a fresh start. He can still have his big moments. And he goes three for 15, 
no homers, no RBIs, yeah. a couple of walks, eight strikeouts. Right. That's not going to get it done. So uh, that's a team in a weird spot, but uh, yeah. props to the Braves there. Absolutely. Um, the one other note about Christian Yelich, his power has seemingly vanished. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at his regular – he didn't play a full season this season. He was dealing with some injuries. Um, but he had 400 at-bats and only hit nine homers. In 2019, he had 489 at-bats and hit 44 homers. So I don't know if there's been something in his swing or if he, you know, those injuries that he was dealing with this year kind of uh, zapped all his power or what, but it's something that he's going to need to figure out quickly because the way he's playing right now, it's, it's, he's not going to be long for the league, uh, at least as an everyday player, if, uh, if he can't find uh, at least an inkling of the, of the form he was able to, put forth uh for the the years a couple years previous um yeah you have to believe that maybe the back problems he's been having the last year or so Mm -hmm. i mean because outside of that there's no logical explanation he's not old there's no there's really no logic other than that the injuries are really just zapping his power i I don't know yeah yeah it'll be uh interesting to see if he can turn around next season um and recapture that uh that magic that he had for 2018-2019, those couple of years. But we'll go to the other series, uh, arguably the best series of the uh, division series, uh, Dodgers-Giants. And uh, just when we think, you know, we're not going to bet against the Giants, uh, their their magic runs out and they fall 2-1 to uh, in Game 5 to the Dodgers uh, at home in San Francisco. And that was a great game. I mean, it came down to the ninth inning, and uh, it was a uh, – what was it? A uh, Cody Bellinger single. Cody Bellinger, uh, you know, we've talked about it. He was not good this season. He uh, struggled all year. He'd been struggling in the postseason, and uh, he ended up driving in the game-winning run with a single to uh, right field, scoring Justin Turner. Uh, making that game two to one and uh, props to him. Uh, shout out to him just sticking with it and, uh, and having his big moment. But Chris, the question everybody is asking, did Wilmer Flores swing? No, no, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think he did. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think he did. And it brought up another, one of these debates that comes up every once in a while when some a call like this happens in a big situation, which is the yeah. whole definition of whether a player went around or not is really yeah. very unclear. And it's just a big mess. Like that's always been one of those things where it's like, I mean, I, I don't even, it's, for me, it's an instincts thing. It's like either I feel like I went around or I see it, but I couldn't even explain it to you. Right. Like if for sure. baseball fans, and I may be an exception, but for me, it's always been something where it's like, I can just tell. Like yeah. but that's sort of like the vibe rather than like, ah, oh, if his hand crosses the, you know, yeah. there isn't like a very set threshold. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like that's kind of how baseball plays it. Like, ah, you know, yeah. it, it just, if it, if it looks like it and uh it was a controversial call, but, and I think, um, uh, Gabe Kapler, forgetting the Giants, I almost said Bruce Bochy, um, you know, in the Giants side, they, 
they, I, from what I saw, mm -hmm. they all treated it the right way, which yeah. is that, look, like, was that unfortunate? Yes, of course. Yeah. Did we disagree with the call? Yes. Yeah. But we had other opportunities that that wasn't exactly. what lost them the game. Like, yeah, it, it wasn't, it was a, did he swing call? Like we, it's not a situation where there was a play at the plate and if they would have made, you know, it was a questionable call. And if it uh -huh. would have been called safe, then they would have tied the game. Yeah. It was, if they would have called, he didn't swing, then he would have gotten another chance, but right. that doesn't, it wasn't like they almost scored the winning run. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. Yes. Yeah. But the Dodgers won that series. It's you wish that they could have played more games. Like that's mm -hmm. just like you wish that that could have been an NLCS matchup instead yeah. of an NLDS matchup. Yeah. Um, maybe there'll be a discussion about changing playoff seating and how they go about that. But right. I think he won around. Mm -hmm. But I'm not as much as I wanted to see the Giants advance here. I'm not going to make a whole bunch of excuses for him. Right. And I don't think they did either. I mean, I'm not criticizing them for that. Yeah. No, I think you know watching it my initial thought was you can't end let alone a giants Dodgers series like that. You can't end a playoff series on a call like that. You know what I mean? Right. Sure. Like, yeah. I, you know, I hate when games end and series end like this, you know, with a judgment call by the umpires. Um, so that was my initial thought. My, my, thought after you know letting it sit for a little bit is you know that call is how they lost but it's not why they lost and it's kind of you know the same point you made earlier Chris you know it's it's the the way that the game ended but it's they had plenty of other opportunities you know I'm looking at the five games and the final scores the Giants did not I mean they scored 10 runs over five games and against the Dodgers, that's not going to fly. I mean, props to their pitching staff for holding, for shutting the Dodgers out twice and holding them to two runs in game five. You know, the Dodgers are going to, they're going to score runs and they scored nine in game two, they scored seven in game four. And the Giants pitching did their job in the other three games. And they had, you know, every opportunity to, to win game five, holding the Giants or the Dodgers to just two runs. So you know, I think their offense definitely disappointed. Um, they only scored more than two runs once, and that was in game one. Um, but I, I do think, you know, the better team, the more talented team won. Um, and now it's setting up a very now interesting uh, matchup with the Atlanta Braves. And uh, the Braves, after the first two games, are up 2 nothing after back-to-back walk-off wins uh, in Atlanta. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, the Braves have certainly shown in these two games that they belong here. Like, yeah. they are a legit team. They were, they were the big underdogs to the Dodgers. You know, mm -hmm. they were the favorite against the Brewers. Um, yeah. But they were just a massive underdog. I mean, whoever came out of that Brewers Atlanta series was going to be a massive underdog to whoever came out of the Giants Dodgers series. Right. And that was, that was just a fact. And this Braves team, um, you know, I mentioned it before that they're, despite the fact that Ronald Acuna hasn't played in months, that yeah. Marcelo Zuna hasn't played in months for, uh, as he, you know, undergoes uh, investigation there, um, this team has filled in the gaps 
really well with these role players, with these additions. Mm-hmm. Austin Riley's breakout. They still have Freeman. They still have Ozzy Albies. They still have, you know, they brought back Duvall. Mm-hmm. And with all that in mind, I really look at the Braves pitching and look at how they limited the Dodgers to, you know, two runs in game one and four runs in game two. Now that's not like excellent. It's a small sample size, but still against a dot, we know how good this Dodgers offense is when you have Max free going out there in game one and six innings, two earned runs, getting it done. And in game two, uh, Ian Anderson was not as effective, but still he's limiting the damage. It was just two earned runs. He didn't go deep into the game, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, he prevented disaster and yeah. kept them in that game. He did not explode. He did not implode. There yeah. was, uh, you know, this Braves rotation, despite the fact that, um, oh, and I'm blanking on his name now, couldn't get back for them this year. Uh, oh, Soroka. Soroka. Yeah. Soroka. We thought, you know, he, we thought that he'd be back and he'd be a big factor and he had re-injured his Achilles. Yeah. But that Braves rotation, that top three really is quite good when they're all on and Charlie Morton, the veteran and Ian Anderson and Max free, the young guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's hard to draw any big conclusions. The Dodgers, much like the Astros, they absolutely cannot be counted out yeah. by any circumstances. <laughs> they could absolutely win the next two games. And then it's just an even series and who knows what happens from there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, if the Braves convincingly win game three, it's a different discussion. If the Dodgers convincingly win the next two games, that's also a different discussion. It's yeah. it all kind of does change so much game to game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, this is a Dodgers team that hasn't been consistently scoring at a great level this postseason. Yeah. Now they've had, they faced good. It's, it's again, small sample size. They yeah. had a nine run game and a seven run game. Yeah. Outside of that, it's like zero, zero, two, two, four. Yeah. It's not great. The consistency hasn't really been there. Now, of course, again, small sample size. I've said that a million times. Giants pitching is good. Braves pitching has been very good, Mm -hmm. but that is something to watch. That inconsistency might come back to bite them. You know, all of a sudden they could be out of it before we even realize it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that we talked about with the Yankees. And I think you know, we, the Dodgers went and won 106 games. So we really didn't think about it, but it's, you know, it's showing up here in the postseason, which is a time you can't have it show up. And, uh, you know, for teams like uh, the Red Sox, it hasn't shown up. They haven't been inconsistent. Uh, the Astros, they haven't been inconsistent on the offensive end, um, you know, except for really, uh, and they even scored five runs in the first two games of uh, their series against the Red Sox. So they've been very consistent. They haven't gotten on the board yet tonight. Um, and the Braves even too have been consistent. They've, they've won their last three games uh, with very clutch, very late hits. Uh, the, the Freddie Freeman home run in game four of their series against the Brewers and then back-to-back walk-offs in their first two uh, series against the Dodgers and they they've been uh, coming up with big hits in big situations uh, the Dodgers haven't been able to do that in uh, late in games at least in these first two uh, first two games of their their series but uh, you know it's a long way to go they still got to win uh, they're going back home um, they're down two games to none but you know they're the Dodgers they can they'll uh, they'll they won't really sneak up on you because you know how good they are but they will uh, they will put runs on the board at a high level. 
And uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see, especially game three, uh, how, how that plays out and if the Dodgers can get back into the series. Um, but on the Braves side, I've been really impressed with their lineup. I mean, Austin Riley has had his, his big moment in game one. Uh, Eddie Rosario had four hits in game two. He's been, uh, he was really good for, uh, in that game. Uh, he had the walk-off hit. Um, we mentioned Jock Peterson. We, you know, we see on social media, you know, it's Jocktober. Um, so he's had a couple of big hits uh, for the Braves uh, in this series so far. Um, it's going to be very, it's going to be fun to watch um, how this series plays out because I don't think anybody thought uh, that the Braves were going to be up two nothing going back to LA uh, for game three. No, I, nobody, I don't think you're right. Anybody who predicted that, uh, have them fill out a March Madness bracket because oh, yeah. uh, that takes some skill. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, it's, it's really interesting because we're seeing things that we didn't necessarily expect in both of these series to different degrees, yeah. but both teams that have in both the NLCS and ALCS that have their backs up against the wall are both capable of flipping the script really quickly. Yeah. Like neither of them are teams white, right? Like their teams are like, okay, if the Brewers were down big in a series, you're like, I don't know if they got, they don't have the bats to overcome that. Yeah. But both the Dodgers and the uh, Astros have shown a scrappiness and a just sheer offensive ability mm-hmm. to go on huge runs and could, could change things in a matter of, of the blink of an eye. Right. So yeah odds are it seems like there's surefire or very clear momentum in both uh-huh. these series right now but it, it could change in a hurry in the postseason we've certainly seen that before oh yeah absolutely um before we move on to our news i just had this thought and i'm looking at my uh my postseason bracket that i made before uh it started chris is it possible to to be so bad you're good because i picked all four of my uh, lcs teams are no longer in the playoffs oh that is impressive i picked the rays white Sox, giants and brewers okay now what did i pick yeah i I don't remember okay i gotta i gotta pull it up now because now i want to see was i just as far off well i guess i wasn't (laughs) just as far off i could have been quite that far off otherwise we would have had the same picks uh let's see now i gotta look this so you had the remind me who you had I had uh, all four teams that are no longer in the playoffs: Rays, White Sox, oh, right. and then and then Giants, Brewers. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I had. Wow. Wow. I was pretty bad too. Yeah. Um, I had, I had Houston, Tampa Bay. So Tampa Bay, no. And then I had the Giants and the Brewers. Okay. Yeah. So not great uh, so i guess <laughs> one is that me between is that mean between us that we were one of one for eight in picking lcs yep. teams wow we should really just retire now that's pretty bad <laughs> yeah that that's uh that's not good so uh yeah don't trust us and take everything uh we say with a grain of salt because uh clearly uh, there's not a lot of uh not a lot of uh success that we've proven which is yeah. You know, after I picked the, the Red Sox to beat the Yankees in the AL, uh, you know, or yeah, the AL wildcard game, I was feeling pretty good. And then, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, no, that's all downhill. It, yeah, it goes to show you that's baseball for you. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it's such Absolutely. a, it's one of those sports like 
where it's just the playoffs. I mean, it's part of what makes the playoffs incredible, but also yeah. part of what makes the playoffs maddening is that it's, <laughs> it is so random. Like the nature of baseball itself is a reason they play 162 games. Yeah. It's because a small sample size can be incredibly misleading, but then that's exactly what happens in the playoffs. Yeah. Momentum yeah. and who shows up in a given night and whose mm-hmm. arm is sore on that one night can, can be all the difference. Exactly. Exactly. But it's uh, we're about halfway through or partway through our uh, championship series. And by, you know, this time next week when we record, we'll be looking at a World Series matchup. So uh, it's uh, going to be very exciting. A lot's going to happen over this, this next week. And uh, we'll be down to two when we talk next time uh, next week on uh, on Monday or early next week, at least Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, sometime uh, in there before the World Series starts. Uh, but We'll go to our, our new segment, uh, just a few uh, minor things to talk about here. Uh, aside from our first point. Um, I was going to say, Chris, that's not minor. Yeah, you mentioned it uh, at the top of the show. Um, but why, I'll just let you take the lead on a story that baffled, I, for sure, you. And it baffled me. And I'm, I know it baffled uh, most, if not all, of people around baseball. Yeah, this was something that, like you said, I don't think anyone could tell you, anybody not in the organization, and in fact, most people in the organization could not have, in the Cardinals organization, could not have told you this was coming. Yeah, There was probably only one or two people who could have suspected this was coming, and it's the people who made it happen, Yeah, who, and that was that just completely out of left field, out of the blue, Last week, I believe it was either Thursday or Friday, um, abruptly, the St. Louis Cardinals front office announced a press conference. In fact, when they announced the press conference on Zoom, they announced it and their announcement was for like four minutes ago. Like, like the reporters got it. It was like, it's starting now. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And they announced that they had fired Mike Schilt Mm -hmm. after... Uh, three and a half, three consecutive postseason appearances mm-hmm. after taking taking uh, the reins for the team in the middle of the 2018 season after after the uh, firing of Mike Matheny. Mike Schilt took over a uh, part of the organization for the better part of the last few decades, mm-hmm. worked his way up through the organization, a real organization guy, uh, an internal hire after Matheny's departure. And Still, all these days later, after the weekend, it is still not entirely clear why Mike Schilt was fired as manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. John Mosellock is the president of baseball operations, been there a long time, and he said he cited philosophical differences and the direction of the team. Yeah. He said it was not about the what happened this year when they were had been middling and then won franchise record 17 games in a row made the postseason lost to the Dodgers we've talked about that mm-hmm. he said it had nothing to do with this year or the past at all it was all about the future and there were philosophical differences but despite reporters pressing him and then Mike Schilt talking to the media today it is still not clear what those philosophical differences are and it's probably it's looking like we may never know yeah and that is the it's the weirdest thing um, both that this happened and that we don't have a clear explanation for why. Yeah. Um, there are some factors that have been mentioned in reporting indicating that the team 
wanted uh, a more analytics driven approach, um, mm -hmm. wanted to embrace some of the analytics and new school approach of their hitting coach and that uh, Schiltz may have not endorsed that. There have been reports that maybe he was upset that the front office didn't provide him with better reinforcements at the trade deadline. There have been a number of different things thrown out there about what that could or might be. Mm -hmm. um, none of them on its own is a great explanation for why all of a sudden there'd be an abrupt change. Um, what is clear is that um, this was not something that was a long time coming. It really seemed to be like the final weeks of the regular season and the postseason, and then the uh, after reg after the regular season after the season ended, there's always meetings between the front office and management and the, and the coaching staff. And it seemed like it really came to a head then, whatever it was, yeah, came to a head then. And they won't talk about what it is, mm -hmm. but all of a sudden, this is the shortest managerial tenure for a Cardinals manager in decades. Yeah. And this is despite the fact that Mike Schultz had a better winning percentage than Mike Matheny, Tony La Russa, and Whitey Herzog. And Joe wow. Torrey, I believe, also in their tenures as Cardinals manager, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it was, I think it was, uh, let's see if I had that right. Yes, I believe it was a better, the last three Cardinals managers, he had yeah. a better, he had a better winning percentage than all of them. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 I'm, I'm without words. I'm kind of without <laughs> words at this yeah. point. All these days later, I thought there would be closure. Um, yeah. Yadier Molina said over the weekend that there were no problems in the clubhouse, that mm -hmm. he respected Schiltz, that there was a good relationship, mm -hmm. that nobody had issues with him. The players had backed him. It doesn't seem to be related to anything with players. Yeah. Um, but all of a sudden, you go from two teams in the Mets and the Padres looking for new managers after disappointing seasons, it's understandable why, yeah. to a team that – uh, just made the playoffs for the third straight year with a guy who was a legitimate NL manager of the year candidate now looking for a new job. Yeah. And I think Schultz going to have a new job very soon. The Padres are apparently going to be interviewing him. Mm -hmm. If he wants, he, he, if he wants another job in baseball, and I think he does from what he said, he's going to be another man. He's going to get another managerial job or a bench coach job very mm -hmm. soon, probably yeah. by, by 2022. Um, it's just, it's, it's shocking is an understatement. It's honestly one of the bigger shocks that I think Cardinals fans have had experienced in the last few decades. And yeah. that seems like a big, that's a lot, but it really, I think it does apply. Like sure. people brought up like, oh, when Albert Pujols left, well, that was a big deal, but it wasn't so much, it wasn't as big of a shock because of the way the negotiations had played out. Yeah. But now all of a sudden they're looking for a new manager and it'll be interesting <laughs> to see there are a couple of, there are a couple of big internal candidates um their bench coach and their first base coach and then there's talk of former players like skip schumacher or matt holiday and then talk of experienced managers like buck showalter or bruce bochi so sure. three yeah. different three very different directions to go and um they're gonna hire somebody soon it's just, uh, it's baffling. It's, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stop talking because I'm just rambling at this point. Yeah, no, it's, it's super weird. And uh, obviously, if that's the way the, that ownership wants to take the team, then, and uh, they thought Mike Schultz wasn't the, the guy to take him there, then 
it, it makes sense, but I agree that it's, it's super weird that there's been no real explanation besides, you know, philosophical differences. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who they, you know, determine their guy is, you know, I, I hope for your sake, it's not somebody like Buckshow Walter, um, because I don't think that would be, uh, conducive for, uh, success, but, uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch, uh, and see who they decide to bring in or who they decide to hire internally. Yeah. I, I'll, the one other thing I'll say here before we move on is, you know, we've just received hints about mm -hmm. what might have gone on. And one thing that somebody pointed out is that, you know, when Mike Matheny was fired before Schill took over, yeah. the front office went out of their way to praise him. He was fired mid-season mm -hmm. and it was a little bit of a surprise at the time. It was a bit of a surprise at the time um, that it would happen mid-season. Um, and somebody, somebody pointed out at the difference in the press releases that were put out when both manager, those managers were fired. Mm -hmm. And when the Cardinals fired Mike Matheny, there was, there was quotes from their owner praising him for his dedication and they're yeah. thankful to his service. And, you know, Matheny got to get a quote in there and all these different things. And when Schilt was fired the other day, there was no praise. There was a yeah. statement of facts of what he had done. Mm -hmm. There was no quote of thanking him for his service. He did not get to put a quote in there at all. It just yeah. It, players were not told of it or many players were not told of what was happening before they heard about it in the media yeah so it's it, it's going to be something that i that uh, sizzles underneath the surface for a while um because it's one thing to just be like to kind of write it off and say like ah well they just in a different direction yeah but clearly there was some real tension who knows why like, we just still don't know why but this right. isn't nothing this wasn't like a, oh, i'm slightly irritated with you get out of here yeah it was something big so yeah. we shall see we'll have plenty of time i'm sure we'll be talking about it this uh off season whoever they decide because it's going to be pretty soon i think they'll bring somebody else in so yeah you will see it'll be interesting it, it absolutely will and we'll go from uh, Cardinals manager news to White Sox manager news. Um, oh boy. Just a minor note, uh, no firing of Tony La Russa, as much as uh, I would say most, if not all White Sox fans would like that. Um, he will reportedly return to the White Sox for next season in 2022. Um, it was also reported that he initially, uh, when he was brought in, agreed to three years with the team. Um, so we'll, we'll see, uh, if that actually comes to fruition next year will be year number two. And, uh, you know, it really wasn't, uh, it wasn't ideal. You know, he had his, his bumps early on. Um, but for a majority of the season, it was pretty smooth sailing. I would say his biggest issue was, uh, his handling of the bullpen, mainly with, um, the whole closer situation with Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks. Um, I think if, you know, that was kind of smoothed out uh, and they tried some things uh, like uh, Hendricks in the eighth and Kimbrell in the, in the ninth and kind of just rotated those guys through for the last, you know, couple months of the season, it would have maybe avoided some of the problems they would have in the postseason. Um, but, you know, it wasn't all bad. I think there's definitely things he can improve on. Um, but you know, just a, uh, you know, a formality, I think at this point, um, because there was nothing 
super, uh, super uh, egregious that he did or did not do uh, that would cause, you know, massive amounts of uproar and, you know, demanding his firing from White Sox fans. There is some of that on White Sox Twitter, um, but uh, it's Twitter and people are just going to say, you know, every extreme and everything in between. Yeah, the worst fears were not realized. Yeah. The him being a distraction all year long, Mm -hmm. the him clearly throw like, just doing things that are clearly you look and say, okay, he's costing them game after game after game. Yeah. Of course they're questionable decisions. I'm not here to call it to name him manager of the year. Right. By any means, but the worst fears were not realized. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact that down the stretch and in the second half of the season, like it wasn't a national storyline. Of course, White Sox fans were always paying attention to what he was doing and you know, criticism, praise, whatever, Mm -hmm. but it was not a national storyline all season. In fact, most of the season, it really fell to the background. Yeah. Which was sort of the fear was that there would just be something every other week (laughs) and it would keep being a distraction and in the news and this and that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that wasn't an issue. No. And players, I did see some players after this, the season ended Mm -hmm. or their season, they were eliminated, you know, praising him or you know not even praising as much as just saying you know they have his he has their respect you know yeah. that's kind of things a couple quotes not mm-hmm. they're not saying he's manager of the year or that means that you know i'm changing my tune on the decision to hire him or whatever mm-hmm. but um yeah he wasn't a big distraction so yeah there's that and, there's yeah that. and it was good to see uh i saw a press conference it was gavin sheets and uh carlos rodon after game four and they were both just you know, talked highly of him. And, you know, I think it was Sheets that said, basically, you know, it's been an honor as a rookie to play for the Hall of Fame manager. And when you have a Hall of Fame manager in your corner backing you up every step of the way, you feel like you can do anything. So, you know, even if it's not, uh, you know, they, they're not the best of friends in the clubhouse, it's, it's a matter of, you know, respect and recognition of, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. And it seems like, uh, LaRusa did his part of, uh, you know, kind of adapting to the way that baseball is played now. And, uh, you know, he did his part and he's definitely just going to take uh, this year as a learning experience and hopefully transfer some of that uh, into 2022. Um, but a couple uh, other notes here, um, Chris, we have a new uh, general manager in uh, on the north side of Chicago. Um, the Cubs have hired a former Cleveland executive, Carter Hawkins, as their general manager. Yeah, he uh, was a, a Cleveland Indians assistant general manager. Um, not a huge name nationally. I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't know what his reputation is in baseball inner mm-hmm. circles, but not a big splashy like, oh, yeah, this guy ran a front office for decades, you know, kind of name. He's just 37 years old. Yeah. Um, he spent 14 years in the Cleveland organization from a scouting intern to working as an assistant under their GM. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to reportedly, I don't think it's been as far as I can tell, still hasn't been officially announced, but yeah. the, this report has been out for a little while now. He'll take over for Jed Hoyer. Um, and uh, he had previously, Hawkins previously been one of four finalists reported for a uh, for the for the Indians front office vacancy mm-hmm. so um, you know he was the name that was getting a lot of getting some attention and I don't honestly I can't tell you that much about him and also how much it's going to matter you yeah know, he's he's still 
going to be working under the president of baseball operations in Chicago. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no big conclusion about what this means for the Cubs, except for the fact that he'll, we have a new guy involved in making the decisions for what's going to be a crucial off season for the Cubs. Yeah. Um, From what I can tell, it seems like he's going to kind of step into the, uh, the right hand of man role for uh, Jed Hoyer, who's the president of baseball operations for uh, the Cubs. Um, so he's going to kind of be number two on that, uh, on that, in that hierarchy. Um, but we know about Cleveland and their, their, uh, you know, ability to develop pitching. And uh, so I wonder, um, you know, if, if that's an element that, uh, that the Cubs liked, uh, whereas everybody else didn't really have a specific uh, skill like that. So being with the you know the organization for so long i'm wondering uh if hawkins will be able to kind of bring that uh that eye for pitching and uh and prospects like that to uh the north side of chicago but we'll see and it might be a while before we uh actually are able to tell uh the impact that he's had yeah i think that's a good point he from what i'm reading was a supervise was supervising Cleveland's player development department. Yeah. So he had a big role there. That makes sense. And also I should add a little correction here. Just a few hours ago, he was officially introduced as Cubs general manager. When okay. I made these notes, he go. was it had been reported like five days ago. Sure. And I made the notes and then I just a few hours ago, stories published of him officially being introduced. So there's no question gotcha. now at this point. Okay. Well perfect. And uh, that is official. Um, and a couple of league notes here as well. Um, two things that should have been done probably a long time ago, but MLB finally uh, made some changes. Uh, the first of which has to do with minor leaguers and uh, Major League Baseball is going to finally require teams to provide housing for minor league players. Um, this is an issue that has been at the forefront um, especially this season of minor league players being treated poorly, um, you know, being forced to live in their cars, sleep in their cars, not having, you know, a, a regular place to, to sleep. Um, and just, you know, the impact that that was having on their, uh, you know, their, their ability to train properly, their mental health, uh, their, their nutrition, um, and things like that, but it's a good step forward. It's, uh, long overdue, I think. Um, and I think there was a lot of pressure on the league, especially after this season to do something about it. And it's good to see that they did that. It certainly, certainly is like you said, long overdue, um, Mm -hmm. the conditions in which many minor leaguers find themselves in, um, are, just have not been acceptable and it's been an issue that's that's really started to gain some traction here in recent months and years yeah you know the it's it's easy to sort of put in the back of your head it's like yeah this is an unfortunate part of the way the game is right now baseball doesn't do well enough with its minor leaguers and you kind of just bury kind of the thing you don't like to think about very much you know for a lot of people it's like Mm -hmm. yeah you know it's unfortunate but when you really start to look into it and dive into the numbers and make yourself aware and read people's accounts, yeah, players who are in the major leagues now, what they had to do to get there, players yeah. who don't make it to the major leagues, who spend years trying to get there, yeah, and in the meantime, they're making 
you know, most minor leaguers make less than $15,000 a year. Yeah. $15,000 a year <laughs> at class a, some players are making 12,000 a year at triple yeah. a, the win, the weekly minimum salary is $700, which meet, which equates to an annual salary of $16,800. And that's yeah. a triple a, yeah. that's a triple a. I mean, that's one step away from the majors and <laughs> These players receive paychecks in many cases only during the summer months. They have to work mm -hmm. these incredibly grueling schedules and you can't live like that. They're not provided housing uh, and they hadn't been provided housing in most cases. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there were, there were players who were trying to, trying to make it to the majors and trying to focus on their training. And instead they're focusing on where they're going to sleep. They're focusing on where they're going to go. They're focusing on what they're going to eat because they weren't being fed adequately. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a much needed step in the right direction. It's not a pat MLB on the back, MLB teams on the back moment. It's like right. a, well, thanks for doing the bare minimum. You should have done a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. What, what, uh, all right. So, yeah. but uh, certainly much needed. That's for sure. I'm, I'm right there with you. Absolutely. And another thing that's been much needed uh, on behalf of the of major league baseball has been a, a blackout free streaming. Um, they are major league baseball is in talks to launch a nationwide streaming service, uh, that would let fans watch their local teams and their hometown teams without a cable TV subscription. Um, this is another thing that I think we talked about this earlier this season as well on the show. And, you know, we, we were talking about like, if you live in Iowa, you're blacked out of six or seven teams, um, mm -hmm. And that's just one area where you're blacked out of multiple major league baseball teams. Um, but they can have it done as early uh, as 2023 uh, for that season. Um, but this is something else that's good to see. It's also um, being reported that the NBA and NHL are considering partnering with uh, major league baseball on the new streaming service. Um and uh, it's going to be, you know, in the works for a little bit, but it's good to see they've gotten the ball rolling on this as well, because, you know, it's, I'm sure it's part of the reason that viewership has been on the decline for the past few years. It's just people not being able to watch, you know, their team or a team that's close to them uh, if they're not a fan of a specific team already. Yeah. It's another one of baseball's problems for, for years now that keeps just, the wheels just keep spinning and nothing happens. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm cautiously optimistic based on this reporting, but I'm not too far excited because there's been times before where it seemed like we were approaching some sort of solution and then it never happened. And as from, from what I'm reading here, while this is certainly a, a possibility and it's something that they're working toward, yeah. There are a number of factors that still could stand in the way, such as the, the big cable companies that they have deals with mm -hmm. have to, give their permission and how do you make it so that they don't say we're losing too much money and all these different factors there's right. you know all all this stuff so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that hopefully we'll get some some progress in an antiquated messed up system yeah. getting enough getting uh remedied a little bit yeah absolutely absolutely uh, we have a couple more notes here, um, one related to coaches uh, in the Yankees uh, organization. Chris, what do you know about that? 
Yeah, the Yankees, uh, you know, there were questions after the end of the season. I think we talked after last in last week's show, it wasn't clear whether Aaron Boone, apparently there hadn't been discussions about whether he'd be back. His contract was up. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we know now the Yankees have informed their hitting coach and third base coach that their contracts will not be renewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are some experienced names. Um, their third base coach, Phil Nevin, Nevin, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. Uh, He's joined the Yankees from the Giants a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And Thames has been, um, Marcus Thames, their hitting coach, had been there since the start of the 2018 season. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also not going to get their assistant hitting coach back. So clearly um, there's going to be some overhaul there. But it sounds like, according to some other reporting, that their owner, uh, Hal Steinbrenner, is likely to keep Aaron Boone on as manager. Uh, yeah. This is a, your ESPN reporting from almost a week ago now. Yeah, that their owner believes that it wasn't Aaron Boone's fault. Um, that said, they're they're making changes. They're making yeah. changes to the coaching staff, but it sounds like Aaron Boone's going to stay mm-hmm. and maybe get a one-year extension, get one more chance, but he's going to be on the hot seat. Uh, they're, they're, it's not going to be with much of a leash, but it'll be interesting to see what their approach is this offseason, though it sounds like his job is safe for now. Yeah, uh, I don't have too much to add. Very uh, cut and dry uh, report yep. there, but uh, that'll be interesting to see what uh, the Yankees decide to do as far as uh, – uh, hitting coach and uh, what Aaron Boone can do next season uh, to keep his job safe. Um, one other minor note, we were talking about uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and his his uh, shoulder issues through much of the season, especially uh, early on in the second half when he missed some time with the shoulder issue, made that uh, temporary move to center field before going back to shortstop. He is not expected to have shoulder surgery. Um, so he will avoid, uh, going under the knife, but, uh, he will undergo a, uh, a strength program to hopefully, uh, strengthen that shoulder and not have to miss too much more time, uh, with that injury. Um, you know, he had a, a great season this season when he was healthy, hit 42 homers, led the national league in that category. And, uh, just, he's been, every bit of what people and uh, what people within baseball have expected him to be. Um, that's just the, the one minor thing he's been dealing with. Um, but it's good to hear that he will not have to uh, undergo surgery as of right now. Yeah, it certainly is good news. And like you said, he wasn't impacted offensively. It didn't mm-hmm. seem like at all by the yeah. injury, <laughs> but he was impacted defensively. It did seem like, I mean, yeah. Um, 21 errors and mm-hmm. in, in playing in hundred games at shortstop. Yeah. So we're talking about, a, and I'm not trying to nitpick one of the best players in baseball. He is one sure. of the best players in baseball, but <laughs> that is an issue. It's something to keep an eye on. And mm-hmm. obviously he makes, he, that's a little misleading. He makes several plays that other shortstops can't make. Yeah. So, you know, there's that to factor in too, but when you're basically at a, you know, 30 error pace at shortstop, that, that is a problem. And I don't know if that's related to his shoulder or not. Yeah. Or maybe it's just he needs to kind of hone in his aggressiveness um, defensively because he yeah. has such incredible skill. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just hope, and I, you know, this is certainly better than him having shoulder surgery. I just hope though, that a full off season of rest and strength, that it isn't something that like pops up down the road and derails him because yeah. we've seen incredible talents like, you know, like that in the past where just like a nagging injury just keeps popping up or he seems fine. And then he aggravates it in May next year. And then he's just had, then he has to have the surgery and you're like, ah, uh, darn it. You know? Yeah. So hopefully the fact that he's going to be able to get a full off season of rest puts him in a, in a good spot uh, to return, be, you know, be back at short, have another MVP caliber year yeah. and remain on the field because uh, all baseball fans want to see him on the field. hundred percent. Definitely one of the most exciting young players in baseball and uh, always fun to watch him do what he does. Um, but that's the end of our new segment. And we'll go to this day in baseball. Chris, it was your week this week. And I see you found a Cardinals related uh, anecdote for this week. I did. I did. I couldn't resist. Um, even <laughs> though, even though the end result of this little story doesn't, doesn't end well for the Cardinals, but on this day, and that being October 18th in 2013, Seven years ago, the Cardinals advanced to their second World Series in three seasons, just two years after Tony La Russa led them to a World Series title in 2011. Mm-hmm. Two years later, under Mike Matheny, they're back as they took down the Dodgers. That's right, the Dodgers <laughs> uh, in game six of the NLCS convincingly. And they got great performances from Michael Walker, who beat Clayton Kershaw. This was wow. back when Clayton Kershaw couldn't pitch to save his life against the Cardinals, yeah. you know, who this is back in prime Clayton Kershaw, you know, to be clear, <laughs> this is like sub two ERA Clayton Kershaw, right. but his kryptonite was the St. Louis Cardinals for some reason. Huh. And uh, Michael Waka, the rookie at the time got it done. Uh, and it was the fourth time that season that the Cardinals had beaten Clayton Kershaw in a season, yeah. in which he had an ERA below two. Um, in the end, though, the Cardinals would go on to face the Red, so- uh, the Red Sox, yes, in the World Series in 2013, and Boston would win pretty convincingly, yeah. clinching the title for them, first time at Fenway since 1918. But uh, a nice memory, even if the end of that story doesn't, doesn't end exactly as you'd wish. Yeah, no, fun, uh, fun story. Uh, flashback to when Carlos Beltran was a Cardinal and Michael Waka was right. a rookie, and that's... Uh, that's a very, very fun uh, little story there. Um, now, all these years later, time. Carlos Beltran is the former Mets manager of about 25 minutes. <laughs> Michael Waka is still with the Rays, I think. Yeah. Back, he's bouncing around. Yeah. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is still good, but he's hurt now. So yeah. there you go. There's your update on those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, fun little story there. And uh, one final update on uh, Ray or Red Sox, not Rays, Red Sox, Astros, nine to three. Uh, the Red Sox are leading that one um, in the bottom of the fifth or going to the bottom of the fifth. Um, and it looks like the Red Sox will take a two to one series lead there, uh, barring a huge comeback by Houston. Um but uh, like I said, this time next week, we'll be looking at a World Series matchup, and uh, it's going to be very fun to watch how the last, uh, you know, however many games of this these series, how they play out. And uh, Chris, are there any final thoughts you want to add in before we wrap it up for today? Um, I just hope that... Uh... 
I hope that we get a good ending. I hope that it, as much as I would have no problem with the Braves and the, you know, I wouldn't object per se to the Braves and Red Sox winning those two series. I hope that it gets a little bit interesting that these teams don't just run away with it. And yeah, like, let's, let's get some interest here. Like I'm at the point, at least I don't know about you. And we're both so far off on our predictions and both of our teams are out of it. So yeah. like, I just want good baseball at this sure. point. I'm not, you know, I have teams that I prefer over others to make yeah. the world series and to win the world series. But at the end of the day, I think I just want it to be interesting. I hope we get a good world series matchup and I hope the rest of the league championship series yeah. uh, are interesting because Absolutely. as shocking it would be as it would be if the Braves like swept the Dodgers, <laughs> right. um, it would be shocking in its own way, but also I want to see a good series. Let's get, yeah. let's get good baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Give me, give me three game sevens. Yeah. All the game sevens. Awesome. Well, that is our show for this week. And uh, next week we will be back and we will offer all of our analysis about whatever uh, world series matchup we end up getting. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get some high quality baseball, some exciting baseball, and we'll uh, be set up for something very intriguing, very, uh exciting and uh hope everybody uh on all four teams still in stays healthy so we can have the best players out there uh for all the remaining games so until next week uh he's chris i'm jake and we will talk to you uh in a week good night everybody